This is a story from the island of Coppensey in Orkney. Now, Coppensey is wedge-shaped. So it rises up from the shore, a big, well, that's a reasonably long island. It's small, but it's reasonably long. And it rises up steeply, and then it just falls away in sheer cliffs at the back. And it has a lighthouse on top of those cliffs. And I remember when I was a boy, on a foggy night, you used to hear the of the Coventry Lighthouse. And it had a strangely reassuring sound about it. And I actually miss foghorns. They don't use them anymore. But it was quite a haunting sound. Anyway, I digress, as usual. This story is called The Bruni Coppensy. Now, a long time ago, there was one man, one farmer, who lived on Coppensy. And he lived all alone in his nice little longhouse. Now, the old Orkney longhouses, they had the barn at one end, they had the, the byre, the stable, and the, and the house that he lived in were all in one long building, but, you know, separated. But it meant that you could go from one to the other without having to go outside in the cold. Now, this farmer was lying in his box bed, like a kind of a wooden cupboard with sliding doors on it. And he was lying in bed, and he was, he wasn't asleep yet, but he was dreaming in his head. Not quite daydreaming, because it was almost, you know, night, it was almost a real dream, but what he was thinking about was his girl, the woman who he had asked to marry, the woman who had smiled and accepted and he was thinking about their wedding, and about how happy he would be to have somebody for company in the nights in Coppensy. I mean, he loved her too, of course, but he was lonely there on his own, and the pleasure of having the woman that he loved for company was just so strong. He was lying there thinking about this and thinking how lucky he was when suddenly he noticed something, a slight movement over in the corner by the door. He watched closely and a creature came into the room, a creature the likes of which the man had never seen before in his life, because this creature was green and glowed with a phosphorescent light. He was short and squat, completely naked, and instead of hair, the hair that he had, or what hair he did have on his head, which was flat and bald, but around the sides and on his chin there was hair, only it wasn't hair. It was seaweed. And he also seemed to be slightly scaly-looking, more fish than human about him, but a human shape all the same. And he babbled out of him in some language that the man couldn't understand. 
and he was faced with this creature come in the room. And he thought, what can I do? What should I do? And then he remembered that the word of God in cold steel was a protection against any evil. So he reached up for the little shelf that was halfway up the box bed, and he took his cutthroat razor from the shelf. And also he had a psalm book under his pillow, and he took that out as well, and he jumped out into the floor, waving the psalm book in the air and cutting a circle in the air with the cutthroat razor. The creature just babbled away at him again and made no attempt to, to attack him, but it just stood there in the corner, gibbering away out of it in some language that he couldn't understand, babbling away. Now the man started to lose his temper a bit, because he could be a bit hot-headed. And he picked up a fire poker, and he threw it at the creature. The creature just deftly leapt to one side, and the poker hit the wall quite harmlessly and fell on the floor. He picked up the fire tongs and threw them at the mountain at the creature as well. But again the creature just leapt to one side, and the tongs hit the wall and fell down next to the poker. Then he grabbed the crook from above the fire. Now the crook is a chain with uh, a hook on it that you can hook your pots and kettles to, to hang them over the fire, to boil or to make soup or whatever you were doing. So he took the crook from above the fire, but you see, he forgot that this was not cold steel. This was soft iron from the smithy. And he swung it at the creature. Well, the creature grabbed the iron crook and flicked it out of his hands and threw it into the corner of the room. Well, then the man lost his temper, and he set on the creature with his fists, and he punched it and beat it and slapped it until it squealed out of it and ran out of the door into the night. Now the man sat down by the fire just to gather his his wits a bit, you know, he got a fright. And also, as he sat there and thought about what had just happened, his blood started to cool. He realized that the creature had actually never tried to hurt him. It seemed to be trying to communicate with him, but he couldn't understand it. So he sat there for a while, quite calm now, quite cool. And eventually, the green head, the flat, bald-headed green head, with the seaweed hair around the sides and on the chin, appeared from around the door and started to chiver at him in a language that he didn't understand. But he sat there and listened. And the more he listened to the creature's speech, the more he could discern words in it. He could understand what it was saying. And what the creature was saying was that his name was Hugbo, and he lived in the sea. But he was fed up and tired of gnawing on dead men's bones, and he wanted to come and live on land with the farmer. And if the farmer would allow him to stay there, then he would do some work for him. 
He would turn the quern stone and grind out enough oatmeal for making the porridge in the morning. Now the man thought about this. The only thing that Hugbo asked in return was that he should get a bowl of porridge with some milk in it. The man agreed. I mean, why not? And, you know, he had to work on that farm all by himself. And any bit of help was, would be much appreciated. So if somebody could ground out his breakfast oatmeal for his porridge, then he would be happy. So with that, he went back to his bed. And the creature set about turning the quernstone round and round and round, the little millstone, and he poured the oats through the hole in the centre of it, and the meal, the flour, came out the side. And in the morning, there was a little pile of it there, ready to make porridge with. Now, this carried on for quite a while. And some nights Hugbo would come in, and he would talk to the farmer. He could understand what he was saying now. He didn't always catch every word, but he, he usually could understand it. And Hugbo told him about all the things under the sea, the shipwrecks that he had seen, the wonders, the homes of the finfolk under the waves, all these things he had seen, and he described them in beautiful detail. But some nights the man was tired, and he just went to his bed, and he would listen to the gritty chuckle of the quernstone as it went round and round and round, grinding out his the meal for his breakfast porridge. Now the man started to think. Hugbo was absolutely fine. He had no objections to him at all. But what about his future wife? How would she take to having this creature living in their home? He felt that at time had come that he should go and speak to her. So he did. He took his boat and he went across to the East Mainland parish of Dearness and he went to see his sweetheart. And he told her all about Hugbo, how they had met and what he did for him and the fact that he was very grateful to him for his help, and he was also grateful for a bit of company in the evening too. And he hoped that she would find it in her heart to find him quite acceptable as well. And she said, well, if you are happy with him, if you like him, then I like him too. I think you'd better come and meet him, he said, you know, just to be on the safe side. I will come with you. So she went across to Coppensey, and she was introduced to Hugbo, who just stood there grinning away. Not a stitch on, flat bald head, seaweed hair around his back, seaweed hair on the chin. And she looked at him, and I mean, she didn't think he was bonny. But if a man thought that he was all right, then, you know, there was something to be said for that too. And so the couple were married, and the farmer took his wife back to Coppensey. 
and he loved her, and he was happy to have her there, and she loved him too, and she was happy to be there as well. But three's a crowd, you know. And she started to look at the, this creature, this bruni, this hugbo, who was helping out around the house. And she thought, it's not decent. He's stark naked, and I'm a married woman. It's not right that he should be going around in that state. It's quite disgusting. It's just, no, it's, it's not on, it's not acceptable. He'll have to cover up. And she thought, God, that flat bald head of his is really annoying. We'll have to cover that up too. So she managed to get an old cloak with a hood on it. And she repaired it, she patched it. And then one night she left it lying on top of the quernstone as a gift for Hugbo. But it was more her way of saying, cover yourself up, man. Well, she went to her bed, and her and her husband were sound asleep when they were walking up in the middle of the night with the most terrible, heart-rending howling coming from Hugbo. And Hugbo was standing there holding the cloak in one hand, and he ran round and around and around the floor, saying over and over again, Hugbo's gotten a cloak and hood, so Hugbo can do no more good. Hugbo's gotten a, clo a cloak and hood, so Hugbo can do no more good. And with that he ran out the door and into the darkness of the night, and they never saw him again. You see, the deal had been broken. He got his porridge, he got his milk for the porridge. That was the deal. By giving him clothing, the deal was broken, and he had to return to his home under the waves.'